Hey everyone, I just wanted to let you know that we now have a Patreon link that you can access in the episode show notes. You can contribute as little as $1 a month or send a one-time payment through our PayPal account, also in our show notes, or at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. These contributions allow us to continue producing a weekly episode helping families be able to tell their loved ones' stories. I want to thank you all so much for your support, and don't forget to join our Facebook group. Albert Julian Chavez was murdered sometime overnight between the 12th and 13th of August 2011, and this is his sister's story. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Albert Chavez was the eldest of three children. When he was born, he immediately became the apple of his mother's eye. He was a bright light that shone within her, and they were exceptionally close. His twin sisters were born two years later, much to the family's delight. To Albert's mother, family meant everything, and she was sure to instill this value in her children. They knew that the family unit was the most important part of their world and grew up watching their mother's incredible example of family commitment as she continually cared for others. Albert was an extremely young father. He was only 14 years old when he heard the news that his girlfriend was expecting his child. He had made a very difficult but responsible decision to leave school and go to work to support his own family that was starting. Although his mother was of course very surprised to hear that she was going to become a grandmother, she embraced this new life that was growing and fell in love with Albert's firstborn child, a daughter, before she was born. Albert's mother practiced what she had instilled in her children, family first, and opened her home to this new baby and her mother. Albert is described as being an adoring father who would have traveled around the world to do anything for his children. Albert had two more daughters and loved them all unconditionally and worked hard to provide the best life he possibly could for them. At the time of his murder, Albert was also a proud grandfather to three beautiful girls. It is very sad to know that shortly before Albert was murdered, he had been in a relationship that ended, but resulted in the birth of a fourth child. A son. A son that would have been lucky to have known his father, to have been part of the large, fun-loving, warm, and family-oriented Chavez family. A monstrous group of people took that opportunity away from his son, his grandchildren that were born after he was killed, his children, mother, the rest of his loving family, and the sisters that grew up with him as their protector and friend. They will never forget him, and there is nothing that can fill the hole in their hearts. 
let's talk a little bit about what was Albert like as a child? What was, what was his personality and what did he like to do? Well, my brother has always been very um, family-oriented, even when he was young. Um, always into sports, friends, hanging out. Um, anytime that we could get together as a family and have a barbecue, he was all for it. Oh, so he liked to eat. He loved to eat, but he loved to cook for people, too. You know, like if you were going to have a family gathering, or even if it was a, a Friday, which we used to spend Fridays at my mother's house, um, Fridays, barbecuing, um, hanging out, playing games, you know, anything that would, that would bring us all together. Um, because me and my brother and sister, even though there was only three of us, we each had three kids. So we always had, we always had, um, you know, times together where, so we, we always wanted our kids raised together too. So it was really nice. He was always a loving, caring brother. He, I never actually thought of him as just my brother. <laughs> oh. Our parents uh, divorced very, very young. We were like, I think I was nine when my parents divorced. So um, he was dad, you know. When you were growing up, was he a protective brother? Very protective, but I was very protective of him also. Um, I think it was just the way mom programmed us, you know. She always programmed us that it was just us three. Um, nobody else was going to take care of us but us. So she always told us that when she was gone, you know, that we would only have to depend on each other. So she always tried to build that that uh, brotherly, sisterly love. So we always knew that we were there for each other. I love that idea that you guys got together on Fridays and hung out and played games and barbecued. What types of things did Albert like to cook for everyone? Um, hamburgers, hot dogs, meat, chicken, um, anything that you didn't mind was a little extra black. <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't necessarily the best cook. He just liked to cook. <laughs> he loved to grill. Um, our father was a, a fireman and my brother had this thing with barbecuing, fire pits, you know, stuff like that. I don't know if it was because our father was a fireman, but. That's what he enjoyed. You know, if we were in the backyard and it was cold, please don't have anything that was able for us to break and put in the fire. Like mom made the mistake of one time of storing a, a old uh, dresser, an antique dresser outside, but we were having a bonfire and we ran out of wood. Uh-oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can kind of My feel brother. where this is going. That doesn't oh, sound yeah. good for your mother. <laughs> it was not. Um, she unfortunately fell asleep before the rest of us. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, so when she woke up, it was just the bottom end of that dresser was sticking out of the fire pit. Oh, no. Oh, no. That is funny. So the nice antique dresser was now a charred piece of uh, burnt wood in the bottom of the fire pit. <laughs> yes, it was. It, nothing stood a chance with my brother. If it, I mean, if it meant entertaining us even that much longer then that's what that meant. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is funny. So did you guys have a relationship with your father still after your parents got divorced? Um, no, um, we had a little bit of a relationship with our father, but not as much as we should have. Um, my father remarried after my mom, 
and um, we didn't get along too well with the stepmothers. Mm. So we just kept our distance. There was times when we did, you know, we did have, um, you know, a relationship. But when you have a stubborn father and a stubborn son, they don't kind of always get along, you know. So right, right. Um, my father was a strong, a strong-willed man, and he expected certain things from his children. And when we didn't live up to that, it didn't go over too well. <laughs> To my brother, though, my father was, no other man could be better than our father. Even though we didn't have the greatest relationship to him, you couldn't say anything bad about our father to my brother. You know, it, it didn't matter. All that mattered is he was our father, and that's all that mattered. It wasn't a good thing if he heard somebody bad mouthing our father. I loved my brother beyond love that I mean I can't even describe a word more than what the love I had for him and that's the love he always had for my my father now you said your brother had three children tell me about how he met their mother were there were they married um that type of thing um my brother met his first um his he has two daughters by a lady by the name of Heidi um they met in middle school um, my brother had his children very young. He had his first one when he was 14. Um, then right then after his next one. And then his third one uh, was from a lady by the name of Melissa. And he met her at a bar. Okay. Yeah, and he married Melissa. He was married to Melissa for a couple of years, but um, they were they had divorced. Well, my brother was in eighth grade. Uh, we were living with uh, my mother at the time. Um, he had met Heidi. They did have a relationship. Him and Heidi had a, a kind of love-hate relationship. There's a lot of times where they weren't together. And when they were together, she adored my brother. I have to give that to Heidi. She loved my brother. She did everything for him. I mean, cook, clean, everything. She was a good mom. Um, my mom was very shocked because my mom, I want to say my mom was not even 35 when she had her first grandchild. Um, and Veronica was everything to our family. We, we did everything with that little girl. I mean, we took her everywhere. And my brother was, I want to say, in awe of her, you know, like being a, a father so young. He started working as soon as that baby came out. He was 14 years old working at Bill Johnson. He would take the bus, come home sometimes, not till 10, 11 o'clock at night, get up, go to school, take the bus, go to work, and do it all over again. And he did that. I mean, from the time he found out she was going to have the baby until the day he died, he worked. Did she move in with your family or did she live with her family? Back and forth. There was times when she lived with us, and there was times when she lived with her parents. Um, but um, they got a place of their own after a while. I want to say Veronica was probably two, and they had their own apartment a couple of times. But, you know, they um, they were young, and I don't really think they knew how to be parents and husband and wife at such a young age. So it didn't work out, but... Anytime they saw each other, even after, you know, many years had passed and they had their second child, 
um, Adela was born shortly after, well, I think two years after Veronica was born. And they stayed together for probably a year after Adela was born. And then the relationship ended. But he still stayed, he still stayed in contact with those babies because when Heidi wasn't doing so well, the kids would come and stay with us, meaning my mom, my brother, and my mom, and, my, and uh, the babies. What type of a father was he? He was a wonderful father. Um, he was very protective. Um, he always wanted them to know that their daddy loved them. But he also wanted them to learn that girls could do everything boys could do. So there wasn't a, a time when my brother would say, oh, you can't do that. You're a girl. No. <laughs> wow. He raised his, his daughters just like my mother raised us. Um, you can play sports. You can fix a car. You can put up drywall. You can, you can knock down a wall. You can do anything a man can do. Just because you're a woman doesn't mean anything. His, his daughters are very successful, respectful, loving adult women. I have so much respect for them because they have overcome so much in their lives. And they both are wonderful mothers. And I think every day my brother looks down on them and is just so proud of them because they are wonderful. When Albert had left school to provide for his firstborn daughter, he never stopped working to continue to help support his growing family. When Albert was 18 years old, he did quite an amazing thing. He wanted to be able to show his daughters how important education was. He went back to school to get his GED. And he got it. He was successful. This teenager just turned man in the eyes of the law being 18 years old now, certainly did not have a typical life. He decided not to ever let things deter him from living life to the fullest. And between diaper changes and working and being there for his mother and sisters, he showed his family that he was capable of anything. Albert not only worked hard to provide financially, he worked all around to be a good and decent family man. Always available for his young daughters, he would play with them and have fun cooking for not only his children, but his whole family. The trend of family time being important continued down to this next generation and family nights continued as well. Albert would be on the grill while children were running and playing, chasing each other around the backyard, squealing with delight as their father chased them around, having fun and laughing. This is the story of Albert J. Chavez's murder. The struggles that come with a loved one being murdered are far-reaching. Here, these sisters, now having broken the news to their mother, the mother who cherished Albert, her firstborn child and only son, the impact this news had on her caused her to have a second stroke. This family's grief had to be pushed down while they rushed their mother to the hospital. They sat vigil by her bedside praying that she would be all right. It would be too much to bear even considering their mother not recovering while struggling to come to terms with their brother's murder. When their mother finally woke up, the sisters didn't know what to think of what they were seeing. 
They didn't know if their mother was dreaming or if she was not quite as awake as they had thought. What they were observing was their mother with her arms outstretched, saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, over and over again. And then she said, bye. Her two devoted daughters, who had not and would not leave her side, asked their mom, who are you talking to? And their mother replied, my baby. Their mother then looked straight at them and said, is he really gone? And the moment had to be relived again as they told their mother, yes, he is, explaining what they knew to be true so far of his murder, telling her that her son was dead for the second time was no easier. Albert's sister, Victoria, tried to talk to her mother, sister and nieces about what she had seen, that she didn't think that they should be going in to identify him, how she did not recognize him, but for the tattoo. She knew after the terrible sight of her brother's body that this could scar the rest of her family for life, and herself as well. She did not want this to be the memory that any of them kept as the last time they saw beloved Albert. No one was going to be dissuaded from going in, however, and they all did. Their reactions were as horrified as Victoria's had been. They couldn't have been prepared for the state of his body, the utter ruthlessness of the attack that had been rough upon him. Albert's two eldest daughters were in their early 20s at the time of their father's murder. These poor girls had to see their father beaten beyond recognition in a morgue. After Victoria identified her brother's body, she all but stumbled out of the room and somehow had this overwhelming feeling of being all alone, thinking about how her brother had been murdered, how he lay there dying by himself, suffering all alone in the last moments before he died. She has been overpowered by the fear that he didn't feel loved at the moment of his death, and she continues to carry this sorrow in her heart. How was he found then? What, what happened when they, f who found him? Two kids, because he, he was murdered in a park. So two kids and a city of Phoenix worker found him. Oh my goodness, those poor children as well, to have to discover a body like that. And you, you know what is really what I, I will never forget? Is that they read the story in the newspaper before they contacted us. What? Yeah. The story was in the newspaper about his body being found, who he was, and everything in August 13, 2011's newspaper. But we didn't find out until that afternoon. Oh my goodness. Tell me, yeah. tell me, tell me you didn't find out in the newspaper though. No, um, the police called Melissa, his first wife, and told her. It wasn't until later when she finally got a hold of my sister that we found out. But I don't know if that if my father found out already before because my father has always been one to get up in the morning, four or five o'clock in the morning. He walks to the store, he gets a paper, he reads the paper every morning. So I'm not sure if he might have found out before all of us. I thought that you couldn't run the name of a person who was murdered in the paper until the family was notified. 
that's what we thought too until we saw the ad and until we actually saw the paper. Right, but didn't... And didn't, then I was like, wow, we didn't find out. I want to say we didn't find out until like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was in the morning paper of August 13th. How did the investigation go? What happened next? There was never an investigation. Nobody ever came to talk to us to ask me about my brother. Nobody ever came to talk to his ex-wife. Nobody ever came to talk to the people he lived with. Nobody ever did any of that. The only time I ever talked to a detective is when I called the city of Phoenix myself. I would call them and I was harassing them. I was on the news. I, we had a candlelight vigil for my brother. I believe it was August 15th, the, a couple of days after he died. We had a candlelight vigil at the park. He was found at Homestead Park on I-17 in Glendale. We had a candlelight vigil there. I was on the newsstand. We had a candlelight vigil and every year after that. Uh, I was on the news. I was on the news four different times trying to get my story across. Not one time, even after my first interview, did a detective ever call me to ask me any questions. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. I got one phone call from a detective because the day I found out my brother was murdered was August 13th. August 14th, I went to the park with my brother's picture and was asking questions. All I asked was, Hey, my brother was murdered here on August 13th. Would you have happened to see anything, know anything? Please let the, the police know. I talked to a couple of people at the park, walked around. That night, I got a phone call from a detective saying that I spoke to the suspect and that the suspects told them I was offering a reward. And I told the detective I was talking to the suspect. And he said, yes, ma'am. I said, you should have never told me that. Because I can tell you now what they look like, what they sounded like, and everything. And he said, were you offering a reward? I said, no, sir. I was trying to get information because I didn't feel like I was getting any cooperation from you guys, the city of Phoenix, in my brother's case. So, yes, I did go to the park. Yes, I did approach some gentlemen. But no, I did not offer a reward. Victoria was not feeling very well about the way things were being handled. They could have easily heard the news that their beloved Albert was murdered from the newspaper or a neighbor. There didn't seem to be any interest from the police, this random murder resulting from a robbery, and there didn't seem to be anyone in the police department trying to involve this bereaved family. So Victoria was not going to allow her brother's murderers to just keep on terrorizing others, continuing to rob people in the park, and possibly kill again. She lived only two miles from where her brother was murdered, so Victoria headed over there and asked questions, showing her brother's picture to people that were hanging out there, hoping to get some leads that she could bring to the police. Victoria thought that it was possible that the callous people that were involved would perhaps have returned to the scene of their crime. She thought that it was possible that she would even speak to one or more of them. She is a brave and relentless woman. There was no way she was going to give up on her brother. She was going to be sure he knew 
that he was loved. Even though he had died alone, he was not alone. And the gentlemen I were talking to, one was in a neck brace, one was in an arm sling, one had, um, uh, like, he, he had bruises on his face. So after the officer told me that I talked to the suspect, I thought, well, at least my brother went out fighting. And what were you going to say to them if you found them? Um, basically, I was going to see if I found them and then call the police because I felt like the gentlemen that are accused of killing my brother assaulted other people at that park. My brother wasn't the only victim. My brother was just the only one they killed. So these are sort of a group of, you know, hooligans that are out there robbing people. Is that right? Yes. Yes. There is video on one of my first um, newscasts with News Channel 3. There is video of them beating up a gentleman. You see them. We have description of them. We have their clothes. The gentleman that they beat up in that video, they broke his jaw. So people are afraid of these people. Like, people are afraid to go to this, this you know, area of the park, I would presume. Yes. I believe that these people were kind of people that were terrorizing the neighborhood of 27th Avenue in Glendale. I believe they live in the neighborhood. Um, I believe they probably lived there all their lives. And their parents probably still live there. Victoria does everything she can do to keep her brother's case in the media. Their family has had parties in the park for him on his birthday, candlelight vigils, and she has returned with his picture on numerous occasions to this park. When she holds an event there in her brother's memory, she gets the news crews there to have a piece done on television about the cold case, hoping to jog someone's memory. All it takes is for one citizen to come forward with a piece of information that will lead the police in the right direction. One person can make all the difference to the Chavez clan. I wanted everybody to see that my brother wasn't just some random person that they killed in the park. My brother was a man that was loved, and he loved as much as we loved him. I wanted everybody to know that this person that they killed, they took a father, a brother, and a son from us. They didn't just take some random person and steal his shoes. They took my world. Shortly after Albert was murdered, during the first candlelight vigil that Victoria organized in the place that took her brother's last breath from him, the police had acquired search warrants to search the houses of several people they felt may have been involved in her brother's murder. The same men that were seen on the news clip beating up another man and breaking his jaw. They said they were happy there was a vigil going on as the police felt it could distract the murderers from the searches that were going to take place. Nothing was found. And after that initial search, the police seemed to have just let the investigation go, leaving the case hanging in limbo, leaving the family in the same state. Albert was the kind of man that would never want anyone to hold a grudge. Victoria always reminds herself of that because she knows with complete certainty that her brother would not have wanted his family to hold any hard feelings or bitterness toward the people that murdered him. 
She knows he is looking down at her and his entire family, all those that he loved and loved him, sending them strength and love and reminding them of this wonderful trait he had, forgiveness. Victoria calls the police often, but nothing ever comes from these phone calls. Her inquiries fall on deaf ears. She feels so unhappy with how things have progressed with the police since her brother's murder. She feels as though they just don't care, as though Albert was not important. Her mother finally picked up the phone and called the police herself, seeing that her daughter was trying her best and fighting so hard to keep the case alive. I wanted everybody to see that my brother wasn't just some random person that they killed in the park. My brother was a man that was loved, and he loved as much as we loved him. I wanted everybody to know that this person that they killed, they took a father, a brother, and a son from us. They didn't just take some random person and steal his shoes. They took my world. When I finally got the, the answer, it's because my mom called him. And my mom is not a quiet person. And my mom told him, you know, I've been letting my daughter lead this and I've been letting her be the one to call you, but she doesn't seem to be having any answers for me. And I want to know. I want to know what is going on with my son's case. And this is probably, I want to say, three, four years after it happened. And he just said it was a cold case. That's all he told my mom. And my mom was like, but I need, I want to know more than that. So, you know, did you get any information? He couldn't tell my mom anything. Or he wasn't willing to give my mom any information. What have you done for yourself to sort of be able to move through this horrible situation in the aftermath of your brother's murder? What, what have you done to, to be able to live each day and get through it? I have um, three daughters. <laughs> Believe it or not, I have three daughters too. Lovely. And I have five grandchildren. And I try to spend as much time with my daughters and my grandchildren as much as I can. I tell my children every day that I love them, um, that I'm here for them no matter what. And I have a wonderful partner. And he is here for me every time I need him. I have great friends. And I think that's what gets me through it. A lot of the time, um, I write in the journal. I talk to my brother. I know it may sound odd, but I do. I talk to him as much as I can, especially if I'm having a bad day. Um, I was thrown into early menopause because of this devastation that happened in our family so it's been really um up and down for me and my sister health-wise and emotional going through depression and going through a lot of guilt um I think we all suffered from a lot of guilt after my brother's murder because we weren't there you know and I told you um I always felt like he was alone and I think that is the worst feeling any person could have it's feeling like there's nobody there for them and they're absolutely by themselves. And I just try to remind myself that I am loved and that every day I'm thankful that I'm awake, that I woke up, and that I have my family and 
I guess that's what I'm doing to live through this. Is there another memory you would like to share today? Just that uh, we were, as children, they took us camping a lot. And that is somewhere um, that we scattered his ashes. We scattered his ashes at an old campground that we went to as kids. And um, for the summertime, my father would take us camping for three months. He would take us away from everything. He would We would go camping. We would, you know, fishing and cliff diving. And we just had a blast. And that is what I think of. I always think of the positive times with my brother, the laughs I had with him, hearing him, what are you doing? That was something that he always said because he would always walk in a room and no matter what you were doing, he would ask you, what are you doing? <laughs> um, that's something that I will never forget. Um, I will always listen for that voice. And, you know, you always hear that. You always have a twin out there. And my brother has a million twins because I see a man with, my brother's complexion with my brother's, you know, the hair, the glasses, the hat. And the first thought is, hi, brother. And it's a complete stranger. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, that's but, that's nice. That's what I think of. You know, that, uh, to me, he's always with me. You know, there'll be times when, even if I'm making a hamburger, I'm talking to him. Um, you know, my, my mom will walk into the kitchen and he's like, who are you talking to? And then he'll just kind of back away because he already knows what I'm doing. <laughs> he already knows that I'm talking to my brother, you know, or, um, uh, you know, just having a moment by myself, even if it's driving and just talking to him and remembering him or laughing with him or, you know, something that happened that day. And I want to share it with him. I do. This case is still unsolved nine years later. Albert's family prays for answers, prays for justice, that someone will finally be charged with his murder. Since his death, he has had grandchildren born that he will never meet. His daughters are continuing to grow older each day without their father, and his son will never meet him. His entire family misses Albert's fun-loving spirit and genuine love, his ability to make you feel special and protected, Cookouts have never been the same, nor family game nights. Although the family continues on with these traditions, remembering him, thinking of him, sharing stories, feeling his absence, and always listening for his eternal question of, what are you doing? Thank you so much. I appreciate you listening to my story, by the way. It's my pleasure. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I'm really happy to listen to it. Thank you. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. It's uh, it's really nice of you to have taken the time to tell your brother's story. Thank you. You have a great day, ma'am. And you too. You take care now. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, -face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to
to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.